Okay, you're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In just a moment, we're going we're gonna to dive in to the last message uh, this evening regarding what we have titled a uh, simple message, Change. And for the last several weeks, we've covered a lot of different topics. We started out with how God changes us. And sometimes God changes us by not changing some things around us. Sometimes he changes us by changing circumstances around us. And then we went into the following week, we addressed the matter of uncomfortable change. And change like, oh, I don't like that change. That makes me uncomfortable. And so it's one of those things that we address that sometimes this, this uncomfortable aspect of what's going on, it's like, oh, I don't like that. But how often God moves us out of our comfort zone, and he does so because he's doing a work that is bigger than our comforts. We talked about becoming agents of change. How is it that God actually uses us to bring about transformative change that is designed and intended by him? And then the last one, two Sunday nights ago, we addressed a changing generation. And clearly that's always been the case. Each generation changes in unique and different ways. There are, there are certainly the eternal threads that weave their way all throughout the, the history of mankind, but one of those constants is that there is continual change. And when we're unwilling to figure out what is it, God, that you would have us do to, to, to reach people that are in periods of change, we, we actually diminish and limit our effectiveness for causes bigger than ourselves. Tonight, we're going to wrap it all up by simply addressing the topic of we shall be changed. We shall be changed. On Wednesday nights this summer, we had a, a summer um, prophecy series and we talked a lot about what's this all going to look like. And then we really kind of wrapped things up. Dr. Mullinex was our concluding speaker. And, and he helped us understand some things. He touched oftentimes in, in what is one of, my, one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. And it is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There's a statement in there that, that I love as well. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. I don't know if the name Sigmund Freud means much to you, but he is one of the early founders of psychiatry. And, and when you start with a wrong premise regarding the mind, you're going to come to wrong conclusions. And he started with very faulty premises, and he came to really egregious conclusions. Uh, listen to what Sigmund Freud said. He said, and finally, there is the painful riddle of death for which no remedy at all has yet been found, nor probably ever will be. What a dismal outlook is the existence of any person when we know, as Freud would have concluded, that there is no answer to the problem of death. Clearly, Sigmund Freud did not look and hold to the truths that are laid out before us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The first thing we're going to look at in this passage tonight, somewhat briefly, is a welcomed change. A welcomed 
change. Now, your Bibles are open to 1 Corinthians 15. Look down at verse number 42. I wish we could go through the chapter. Obviously, this evening that would be impossible. But 1 Corinthians 15, let's begin in verse number 42. And think about this welcomed change. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. If you just start breaking down those phrases that are found in verses 42 and 43, you see there is something very, very sad on the sowing part and something truly spectacular, I mean gloriously wonderful, on the other side. Think through, okay, what is it that we are sowing and then what is it because of Jesus Christ? This is true for every blood-bought believer, every person who claims the name of Jesus Christ. First of all, look at what he says. He says, it is sown in corruption. That means that you received an imperfect body from the start. Okay, something was, was wrong at the very beginning. It's almost as if there was a recall issued before your body ever came off the line. There is a problem with you and it impacts every aspect of you. There's nothing about you that arrived here that was just right. Now we might say, well, the things that are just right is God did design you. He did intend for you to do specific certain things. True, but how many of you do anything absolutely perfectly? How many of you say, hey, listen, I might not be so strong in this area, but let me tell you where I'm absolutely perfect, stellar in every way. That just is not true regarding any area of our lives. And so when we start to understand how is it that I arrived here and what have I retained since my arrival, okay, I'm sown in corruption. And then he goes, he says, okay, sown, that means, okay, when I'm finally put in the ground, they're putting something that is demonstrating its origin and that is it's corruptible. But he goes on, he says, raised in incorruption. The change, not only in your body, but the change in you that you will experience is a radical bringing about of a body that is imperishable. Still human, yes, but we may say superhuman. Something that was sown in weakness, sown in corruption, raised in power. And then 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, listen to how that connects with this idea. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Did you know that you will be equal to your inheritance? Whoa, whoa my inheritance is what? It's the same as you. Incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away. And this is the existence that you have reserved for you in heaven. Paul wrote about it this way in Romans. He said in Romans 8, 21, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Ah, oh, delivered from the bondage of corruption. Paul continues to play this chord, and notice how he says it again next. A sown in dishonor. Is, is everything that you do, 
Everything that you think, everything that you say, done in a way that you would consider honorable. Everything that you do, everything that you think, everything that you say, everything about you is everything that is connected to you done in an honorable way. I mean, you think about, wow, if, if everybody could know everything, the secret thoughts and intents of the heart, is everything honorable about you? Well, we, we've already answered the obvious question. It is sown in dishonor. Oh, and there are so many things that we're not proud of. There's so many things that we look back on and we say, oh, I'm embarrassed by that. I'm ashamed of that. It's dishonorable. And I'm, I'm sorry that that's associated with me. Do you, know, do you know there are certain obvious things about you that nobody else knows? Just those, sometimes those thoughts about another person. And they're unkind thoughts, and you might be smiling on the outside, but on the inside, you're thinking things that they don't know, and it's just dishonorable. He says it is sown in dishonor, but notice how it is raised. Raised in glory. Raised in glory. The change that will occur in you at the resurrection brings about an absolutely accurate representation of the one that you were created to reflect. Now, we oftentimes say, okay, to give God glory means that a person looks at us and they have a right opinion of him, okay? So that's, that's a helpful, it's not a full definition of what it means to give God glory, but it's a really great place to start. How do I give God glory? Um, we, we oftentimes quote verses like 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. I hope this doesn't get old or overly repetitive, but it just means, okay, no matter how someone sees you, no matter what you're doing, they can look at you and have a right opinion of God. So no matter what, okay, sown in dishonor, like my action here, what I did, how I represented the one whose name I bear was dishonorable, but raised in glory, raised in such a way that no matter what a person sees you doing, you are rightly representing your creator God. Isn't that going to be a wonderful thing where, where no longer do you have to look over your shoulder to wonder who's watching? No more do you have to think, I'm embarrassed by that, I'm ashamed by that, I'm, I'm disappointed that that is connected to me, sown in dishonor, raised in glory. What a change that will be. And then he doesn't, doesn't even stop there, he said, sown in weakness. Weakness, okay, one of the things associated with that word, sown in weakness, is moral frailty. Moral frailty, like, oh, I, I don't have the strength morally that I want to have. Okay, that is growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But how many of you are as strong spiritually as you'd like to be? How many of you finally have it all together spiritually? Like, how many of you would say, I am so thankful that I have arrived I know we live in the strength of another, but we are keenly aware of our own weaknesses and our propensity to failure. And do you know what he says here? He says, sown in weakness, raised in power. 
The Greek word here, dynamis, okay? This is the word, of course, that we get dynamite from. And the word is interesting because it, it, it connects the idea of, of the intrinsic power of something. Like, wow, I'm raised in power. Like, God, you created me now with something that harkens back to your original intent. Now, the thing itself, it's, it's not this weak, frail, constantly propped up by the strength of another. God, you have empowered me with your strength that, that clearly was halting, was not fully visible when, when I was sown. What is all of this? All of this is a welcomed change. I mean, I know that there are many who say, well, we've got to fight to, to take another breath, and that we do. In fact, our bodies are uniquely created, and I think that the reason our, our heart takes another pound and our lungs heave another breath, even when our body is spent, is because it is struggling to do that which it was originally created to do, and that is live. Don't, don't feel guilty about striving to take another breath. God built you to live. But someday, it, it, it's because of its weakness, because of its innate failure, it's not going to live any longer. And that's not a thing, that's just the shadow of the valley. That's just this, this, this passing over. And then what is it that's on the other side? Man, something that was sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. It was sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It was sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. What a gloriously welcomed change. You know, one day when you receive that new power, you're no longer going to have to say anything like Jesus said in Matthew 26, 41. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. One day when you are changed, you're no longer going to say, my spirit is so willing, but my flesh is so weak. Because now they are going to be unanimous in their conclusions. There's only going to be just one thought and no longer this wrestling and this continual battle. You will be the recipient of a welcomed change. Look a little bit further. We'll, we'll just touch on this. But it is also what we call a mysterious change. Like I don't understand it all, but I trust the one who does. There is some mystery involved here. The Bible says in verse number 50, 1 Corinthians 15, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. In a moment. In a moment, okay. That word is the word atomos, atomos, okay. That's the Greek word atomos. They use that word to, to carry the idea that this is something undivided, undivided. Now, we know that today, you know, the splitting of an atom is possible, but what they're trying to communicate, atomos, they're trying to communicate the idea, hey, listen, this is something that there's no division in it. In a moment, it's not like, hey, it's going to happen between one and two seconds. At that split moment, in, he says there's not even a division in that. In a moment, wham, the twinkling of an eye. He's trying to paint this picture of, listen, this is not the process of change. 
Today we're involved in the process of change, but not that day. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound. And what's going to happen? Dead in Christ rise first, we which are alive and remain, and we shall be changed. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 18, he goes on and he details that. We've referenced it. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, honestly, how many of you ever thought when, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe, in, maybe right now, maybe some of you are like, yeah, I'm kind of thinking that way right now. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you have ever thought, like, I hope the Lord, like, I'd, I'd like to, I got a little bucket list that I'd like to see happen before the Lord returns. Like, I don't know, I want to get married, and, and um, you know, I'd like to have some kids, and then, like, I'll probably, you know, when they're two, I'll probably want them to return, Okay. So, so maybe you have been thinking like, well, you know, I, I, I want him to return, but I just want him to, I, I've, I've got a couple things I need to do before he returns. Do you know, the only reason we would say that is because we don't fully realize how gloriously changed we will be. And we don't fully grasp the beauty of that which awaits on the other side. You know, I alluded to it in a simple way in the ladies' retreat. It's like, oh, I know I should do that. I, I know it would be good to do. I'm going to do it. And then you do it, and then you look back, and it's like, oh, wow, what was my hesitation? You know, when you think about heaven, this, this mysterious, glorious, wonderful change, it, it could be tonight, like during this service. The dead in Christ, those who sleep in Jesus. I'm not talking about some of you in church, okay? Those who who we have laid, what we call we've laid them to rest. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then, wouldn't it be wonderful? Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up, raptured, shall be caught up together to, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Let, let's wrap this up. L- look at the last thing, and what we're going to just do as we wrap it up is to even say, what is it that precedes this change? What precedes this change? We know there is this glorious change coming for every person that knows Jesus Christ. Okay. What is it? Because he leaves us with something. And I love 1 Corinthians 15, 58. What is it then that precedes all of this kind of change? Well, something of of what he's telling us that, that in a sense, you, you shouldn't change this. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye, you be steadfast. That doesn't sound like a vacillating change, does it? Be ye steadfast. And then he says, unmovable. That doesn't sound like someone given to change, does it? You be steadfast, unmovable, always or constantly 
always abounding. We looked at that word this morning. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What is it that, okay, we know there's some big change that's coming. We shall be, he uses it repeatedly throughout 1 Corinthians 15. Okay, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be sown like this, but it's going to be raised like this, and we shall be changed. Okay, what precedes that change? He wraps it all up. He says, because of all the change that you're going to experience, you now be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Think through what that means, steadfast. That just means firm. Firm. Okay, there are things that are the non-negotiables. We've spent several weeks talking about change, but clearly there are some things that should never change. And he connects that to the word, be steadfast, be firm. Okay, what do you believe? What are those things that can't ever change? In, in the passages that we've studied in Romans chapter 14 into Romans 15, um, it's, it's referenced elsewhere throughout Scripture in Galatians and in Corinthians. He talks about like, okay, hey, listen, I know, I know this has changed. We always did it this way, but now we're doing it this way. Uh, uh, you might still want to do it this way, but some other people might do it. He says, listen, I get all of that, but you know those things that are unmovable, those things that are steadfast. On those doctrinal truths, you be firm. All scripture we know is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Doctrine. This is, okay, these are the unmovables regarding the Christian faith. For doctrine. What is it that we're not going to change? Those things that can't change. They're the same. They're the things that are true for all people, for all places, and all times. And he says, be steadfast, firm. And then he says, and then he goes on again. We get this same idea, unmovable. That means this is fixed. No, I'm not going to budge on that one. Okay, I'm not budging on that. Listen, we're not still using an overhead projector, okay? Um, how many of you got really good at overhead projectors? Okay, some of you are like, oh, I just love the, we're not still using them. There might be one tucked away somewhere, I mean, hidden in a, the church closets have all kinds of stuff, you know. Part of the ark stored in one of them, I think. So, so there's all kinds of stuff. There might be a, we don't still use those. That's a little change. But you know, he's not talking about overhead projectors. Quite frankly, he's not talking about if you prefer to sing from, from this or from this. He's not talking about that. He's talking about those things that you are supposed to know. Okay, this is fixed. Th these are those things that we hold to be true for all people, all places, and all times. And don't let the, don't let the winds of, of difficulty blow you away. That really is a, a great hearkening back to James chapter 1, okay? But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, lacking nothing. And then he goes abounding. Well, not only are you to be firm and fixed, but now fruitful. Like, whoa, wow, there's something that is connected to my service for Jesus. Okay, I, I'm grafted in. Well, I'm part now of the family. I'm drawing from the supply that is his. And what's the goal then for the life of every believer? To have to bear fruit. And then more fruit. And fruit that remains. This is now the individual goal of a believer. 
to be firm, to be fixed, to be fruitful. And then in the work of the Lord, that's a focus. Like, okay, there's work to do. I've got to focus on what is it that he's calling me right now to engage in. What, what is he calling me to do? You know, when you look at an event yesterday, like the coastal kickoff, and you see people that are, listen, I know this is just a, like I'm helping park a bus or a car. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a registration table. I'm setting up a nine square game. I'm, I'm doing whatever. I'm walking a group from point A to point B. I'm serving pizza. I'm stacking chairs. Listen, I know it's just, just, just physical stuff, but do you know what it really is? It's a focus on the work of the Lord. Like, how is it that I can help? What area can I serve? Who can I instruct? How can I mentor? Listen, how can my warm greeting next week for a family that's a little nervous because they're going to be leaving their child, not only at Pensacola Christian College, but they're going to be leaving their child to the care of Campus Church. What kind of work can I focus on and say, listen, I want to extend the love of Jesus Christ to this family or to this student. And then he says it's not in vain. That means it's, this is not folly. This is not just frivolous, I'm just, you know, kind of skipping through. He says, no, 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 no. It's not in vain in the Lord. There is something on the other side. This is not just emptiness, vain, empty. It's just fleeting. It serves no purpose beyond its, its little vain, you know, uh, intentions. He says, no, 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 it's not that. There's something valuable on the other side. Your labor, your work, your steadfast resolve to grow and to labor for him, he says, this is not in vain. Clearly, we will not see the results of all that we're laboring to accomplish. You're not going to see all the results. And I, I suspect that's probably valuable, that no person here ever sees the full result of their labor. But it's what he's called us to do today. There is great change a-coming on the other side. He said, until that day, Keep advancing the work he has given you to do. Richard Sibbs is one of the, the beautiful Puritan writers of days gone by. He's, he's written um, some truly wonderful works. A little statement that Sibbs made was this. He said, the tree falls upon the last stroke, yet all the strokes help the work forward. There is change that's coming, but until that day, swing the axe. You say, I've been swinging the axe on that massive tree for a long time and it hasn't budged. I know, but you're part of something bigger than just your one swing because somebody else picks up the axe after you and somebody else after you. And you know, it's quite amazing, the mighty trees that have been felled because someone swung the axe so change I suspect that the Lord is doing a work of change in each of us through each of us and someday for each of us with a finality that is truly the greatest change of all may we ultimately be changed into his likeness that through us, 
others might see him.